Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, Ben, uh, today's op- episode is entitled, Will You Be My Mentor? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so obviously being a little bit funny there, but today's episode comes from a real recommendation from one of our amazing listeners. So this one's for you, Kate. And for everyone else, remember, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to www.indigotogether.com slash contact. We really do want to hear from you. That's right. And the whole idea of Indigo Together is it's not just Ben and I alone, but it's actually you, our listeners, partnering with us to develop meaningful content that speaks into your lives and helps you flourish. That's right. That's right. And the topic that we're addressing today is mentoring. So what are some of the things that we're going to talk about today, Chris? So what is mentoring and its types? We'll go through some of that. Um, Mentoring programs contrasted with coaching and leadership development programs and advice for those who are seeking a mentor. Awesome. Awesome. So why don't we just jump right into that first piece and let's try to get our heads around what mentoring is, because I think it's just so important to have our definitions straight whenever we're, we're trying to talk about things. So we have a common understanding of what it is we're talking about, right? That's right. So definitely for mentoring to take place or exist, you got to have two people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> kind of, there's, there's a number of things in life where that, that occurs. Um, and uh, yeah, mentoring is one of them. So generally, we define workplace mentoring. So we're focusing here on the workplace. Of course, you can have mentors throughout your life. But in general, we, re- we define workplace mentoring as a relationship between two people. And usually, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but usually it's a senior and a more junior employee, but not always, uh, in which the senior employee teaches the person something about his or her job, um, but probably even more importantly, you know, introduces that person to other people, helps to get them oriented to the organization, to the industry, maybe addresses some of the uh, interpersonal or social or personal issues that may arise on the job and help, I mean, basically helps a person fits in, fit in and then helps that person uh, in terms of na- navigating their career and the organization and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, everything's so complex when you enter a new industry or organization, even if you're a veteran, it's it's important to have guides to help you avoid foibles, so to speak. Right. That's and, right. And there's two types of mentoring, right? So we've got psychosocial mentoring and career mentoring. Um, so Ben, psychosocial mentoring, what is it? So psychosocial mentoring has to do with that uh, type of mentoring that is focused on helping the person build their professional identity, maybe helping them with certain areas of competence, helping them be more effective in their role. Uh, also includes just kind of role modeling, you know, trying to show people how to act, what, what's appropriate, what's not in the organization, um, helping to build that person's confidence and, you know, being a, a friend, a, a friendly, uh, ear to, that'll listen to the, the person and, and be there for them. That's the psychosocial part. Right. It, and it's nice to just have a bit of a fan in your corner. 
you know Heck yeah it is <laughs> when you're hitting that grindstone you're like god why why am i doing this besides cash you know having right. somebody that can urge you along is really good and yeah. you know the second type is career mentoring right. and you know that's just specific to the organization what are some other things related to career mentoring so career advancement type of information this would include you know kind of sponsoring that person helping them to know what kind of opportunities are available in the organization um maybe helping them by getting them some exposure and visibility on some good projects so that they can uh kind of get get a better better sense of what the organization does overall as well as you know have them give them the opportunity to show their skills and knowledge in front of a larger audience, um, providing a little bit of protection. You know, if that person's getting kind of yanked around by the rest of the organization, then, you know, coming in there and, and providing that what we call, you know, the top cover, um, having somebody come in and say, Hey, look, you know, this person's doing a great job. We're trying to advance this person's career, et cetera. And also trying to help that person navigate and find some of those challenging assignments that can really, help take a person forward. So there's that psychosocial piece, very important. And then the career related uh, mentoring, another important type of mentoring that occurs in these relationships or, or should occur. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of a, the career side's kind of a bit of an executive sponsorship. It, it's so interesting, all the trouble companies go through to hire somebody. And we talk about this a little bit in our derailment uh, episode. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, oh, we need somebody to do this work. It's so important. We're all overworked. We, you know, you you fight for the budget, you fight for the headcount, all of that kind of stuff. And then you finally get somebody in. And then the organization, just because of the way we are as humans, you know, starts to reject that foreign body and like a disease a little bit, right? <laughs> right. And so having somebody that can soothe that and sponsor that is just just critical. So, right. Um, and when I think back to, you know, mentors that I've had, particularly in the military, uh, you know, a, many of these people have been folks who are senior to me who said, Hey, you know, this would be a good thing for you to do next. You should apply for this. You should get this type of education, this type of training, uh, pursue this, this type of thing. And, and, and with the idea being that if you do that, then that's going to help you along. Also just being a, a sounding board for different ideas. You know, there's a lot of opportunities that sometimes can exist within, especially large organizations and, uh, you know, helping kind of sort those through and figure out what might make sense. Exactly. It, it's nice to have somebody that's already tread the path Mm -hmm. They can see, you know, it's not necessarily do my exact path, although you will see some mentors be like, Hey, listen, if you do, um, I don't know. So I, I played a lot of guitar and there's this uh, folklore about um, a certain classical guitar instructor. And if he found out you weren't playing only classical guitar, like if you owned one of those gosh darned electrics or something, oh, you know, no. <laughs> oh, no, you no longer in that relationship. So, Yikes. you know, there's definitely people that, you know, my way is the only way, um, you know that's maybe not the best way to go, but you know, but there's four, there's four types of mentors, right? Yeah. So, and, 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 um, and where did we get this from? This was from that amazing document, right. That we found on, uh, the office of personnel management's website, right? 
Right. So, you know, we reviewed a whole bunch of the literature and stuff going into this stuff. And actually, they kind of did a practical meta analysis of some <laughs> of this. And um, well, the, the first one's a career guide, right? Right. This is the person that'll help you guide your career, provide some counseling and some visibility within mm -hmm. your role. And I think a really important piece here, especially with career guidance and maybe some of these other roles as well, uh, is that you just, when you're a junior, you just don't know even what you don't know. There's just a right. lot of unknown, I mean, a lot of unknown unknowns. You don't even know what kinds of possibilities are out there. And that's where having somebody who is a trusted guide and has been there and done that will have a better sense of, of those types of things that you need to be looking out for. Right. And, and like we're talking about with the guitar guru, you know, some of those will say my way is the only way you can still mm -hmm. get some value from a relationship with them. But if it's even better, if you can find somebody that is, Hey, I've moved along this trail and I've kept my eyes open and here's some things that might work for you mm -hmm. rather than the monkey see monkey do kind of approach. Right. So that's the career guide, that type of mentor. And then the next one is an information source. So providing some information about uh, expectations, both formally and informally. So you can see a little bit of that kind of psychosocial piece coming in there, right? That informal uh, expectations. You know, I, I remember this was years ago. I, so I had a, uh, a, uh, a wonderful colleague, mentor, uh, in academia. And she was talking about her early career decades ago. Uh, and she was at a very large organization before she went into academia. And she talked about how one time she wore, it was, you know, a very conservative environment in terms of dress and appearance at that time in, in this organization, uh, especially for women. And, uh, she wore like a red suit and was pulled aside by someone fairly senior later on and said, look, we just don't do that. Like, don't, these are the colors that are, that are okay. And these are the ones that are not. And of course that's kind of a, you know, a, maybe a not so great example of, of how an organization might work, but um, you know, it, it is saying, Hey, I'm looking out for you. And I don't want people to think crazy things about you um, just because of, of this piece of your appearance. Right. And, and it's like, culture brought company cultures and the culture writ large is something we both define ourselves within and against. Mm. Right. So it's, you know, we have some of those things and, you know, maybe you want to die on the uh, red suit Hill and that's totally <laughs> fine, but a mentor, a mentor <laughs> can at least give you the data so you can figure out what, where to be a disruptor. Yeah. And where not to. And it brings two ideas, uh, actually. Um, one of the things in talking with some of our peers is about this idea of terminology of mentor mm. and protege, right? So, yeah, a lot of these companies will call it coach, coachy, mint, minty, you know, mentor, yeah. minty. And um, I totally get why those terms would come about, right? So, like when you think of, oh, this is my protege, I don't know, at least for me, it's like a bit of ownership. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of freight, a lot of baggage that comes along with, with that idea of protege. Like, because what if your protege fails, you know, then it's a reflection on you and so forth. Yeah. So most organizations uh, do call it mentor, mentee. If we slip up and say mentor protege, that's where we, we mean the exact same thing during the course of this episode. Uh, so that's great uh, that you pointed out that terminology piece. 
Right. And it's also this idea of, so I always felt like I didn't really have a mentor in my life, right? You know, I never had one of those super warm, familial type, I am this person's protege, look, and this person is super proud of me type, type thing. But, you know, like when we're going through these four types of mentor, it's a career guide. You know, it's not this idea of a mentor doesn't have to be this deep seated, you know, Jedi master Padawan mm-hmm. type <laughs> type relationship, right? Sometimes a mentor is just a daggone information source. Yeah. 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 So career right? guides, information sources. And then, you know, another one is uh, a type of mentor is a friend, right? Interacting with the protege or mentee, potentially socially providing information about people and so forth. And, uh, and that can be an important role as well. Right. So like that starts to get to that more deep, you know, holistic um, mentor role. Like when the term protege kind of brings up that kind of like lifelong, I live at this person's house type type thing. <laughs> but um, the, but it doesn't have to be that way. And it, it no. helps to broaden our context. So um, and the final one is intellectual guide. Right. Mm-hmm. So I see this a lot in our academic peers. So that, you know, this promotes an equal relationship. You know, maybe you collaborate. You know, there's always a senior name on a research paper that gets published, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're going through a PhD program, you you write on some of these papers so you can learn to do your own papers, right? That's absolutely correct. So, you know, these four types of mentors, career guide, information source, friend, intellectual guide. You know, what's interesting, and I was thinking about as we were describing these, is that you may have a number of different people in your life, in your career, who fulfill these different roles. It's not that one person needs to be all of them. It could be, you know, one or two people are providing you career information or other types of information you need. Maybe there's someone else who kind of acts in this friend capacity, and maybe there's somebody else who acts in this intellectual guide capacity. Now, in some instances, maybe it's one person who does all four of those or a collection of of more than one of them, uh, but it can be a number of people. And that's one thing we'll come back to uh, in this episode is that if you are seeking a mentor, it's it's a good idea to have a have a number of them, not just have one person. Right. You know, super mentor, you know, there's not a whole (laughs) lot of people (laughs) that, you know, and they may not have time to be all four for you. So, Mm -hmm. right. So, so generally when you have these mentoring relationship, there's kind of informal, they just organically, you sat next to each other at a company event and Mm -hmm. that person provided some information, um, or you just naturally dig each other, you know? Hey, mm-hmm. I really want to hang out with this person more. Man, they have a lot of good information. But then we, then we got formal mentor programs like that. What I like to call mandatory family fun time uh, within companies. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is a big distinction, and it's an important one to make, especially when we're talking about large organizations that are trying to think about mentoring. Uh, you know, as, as kind of a, a way to help their people, um, is this formal versus informal distinction. So the formal ones are exactly as you mentioned, where, you know, sometimes organizations will go through rather uh, arduous processes to match people. And then there's, uh, you know, some sort of a training maybe that's given, and these people are required to meet on a certain regular basis and so forth. 
Uh, and that can take a lot I of I can hear the one. eyes roll right I now. Know. I know. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I can hear, yeah, I can hear both, both people. Formalized who mentoring. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm moving my arms like a little robot right now. Um, so that's the formalized approach. And then the informal one is, you know, it's, it's this thing that happens more naturally and organically. And maybe it's someone who, you know, you come across in your career, it could be your supervisor, but oftentimes it, it may not be. It could just be someone else who has great information and knowledge that you come across and start working on some things with and bouncing ideas around. Um, and, you know, the, we'll talk There's a little a bit more about- There's a life cycle to these things, right? There really, there is, there is. And so, it's important for us to, to kind of go through those. So talk us through a couple of those. Yeah. So there, you know, the literature talks about four distinct stages, which, you know, just leave it to academics to parse the love in humans' lives. But um yes. <laughs> that, <laughs> so the the first phase is the uh, the initiation stage, right? You you gotta start this daggone relationship and and mm -hmm. you start learning about each other. Um then you move into the second phase, which is known as cultivation. And that's where that mentor relationship either formal and informal really starts to get traction and yield benefit. You, you, mm -hmm. you learn a bunch of stuff that, you know, it's really, that's, that's the guts of the whole thing. Um, and then the, the third phase is, um, uh, separation, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, eventually the protege or mentee for you coaching solution salespeople out there. Um, that's, <laughs> You know, eventually you, you're working with somebody and you're like, man, they have so much to learn. And you start marinating in that relationship. And given enough time, you're like, I am now functioning at this level, right? Mm -hmm. You achieve those same things. You know, you become a director at another organization. So you're at the same, same level. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where, and this could be like, there's could be a fraught or friction because you know, sometimes the mentor gets a lot of identity and value in providing that information. But what happens when your student exceeds your, you know, maybe they publish better science down the road or, you sure. know, you, you are a thought leader in your field. This person gets the peace prize, you know, that, <laughs> that can be challenging to some identity stuff, but, or it could just be like, huh, I think this, my protege has got it now. Right. Um, and then they go, the final phase is they, you start to redefine the relationship. So you, right. you become like a peer colleague at that point. Right. You know, so I think about it, it's actually fairly easy to uh, think about this in terms of like, if you are getting a, a PhD, um, you know, that, that learning phase or that, you know, that initiation stage, that's when you kind of first start the program, you're drowning in coursework, you're thinking that you made a huge mistake per, perhaps at certain points and you're fe feeling like <laughs> an imposter, imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then you, you start working with, uh, you know, a, a faculty member or two and you start kind of learning about each other. And then, you know, things kind of start to click in terms of your interests. Maybe they, they are aligned well. Mm. And maybe you have, uh, just kind of interpersonally have, have a good relationship there and you start to learn a lot. Maybe you start working on some projects together. Uh, now then that kind of goes through until you finish up maybe your, some of your coursework and you move into your dissertation phase where it starts to separate a little bit because you're, uh, the idea there is that you're starting to produce independent 
work. Uh, and then, you know, after that, then it really moves into this redefinition phase where it's much more of a peer or colleague type of relationship. And that that's certainly has ha happened for me over the course of my academic career. But I think it, it certainly can apply outside of academia in, in other environments as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like one of the things that we talk about, you know, like learning versus mentorship or like what I call the portfolio approach. So mm. for me, the, the portfolio approach is, um, you know, I've seen some people just really fall in with one person and that person was such a giant that they could provide all their all four types of mentors in one. But wow. some sometimes you got to build a portfolio because it's so corny when you're like, Hey, will you be my mentor? And mm -hmm. somebody's like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, I'm busy. My day work day's full, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but you can say, Hey, when it comes to a career guide, I go to, you know, Susan, when I, when I need a friend, I go to Larry, you know, Bill's the biggest intellectual guide. Uh, Amy's like, she knows all the information stuff, you know? you can build that approach or this is a person I go to see about relationship advice. This is a person I go to see this, this whole phase or, you know, like the whole standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, just by doing a lot of reading, you can have mentors from history, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about the common approach for that uh, a little later, but it's, it's also important for us to, you know, we've been talking about mentoring and we've talked about how organizations, we've alluded to how they, organizations oftentimes will try to encourage mentoring because they have this vague idea that it's a good thing. And, uh, but there's research on this, on the benefits of mentoring for both those people who are being mentored, the protégés, the mentees, the coaches, whatever we want to call them, as well as for the mentors and the organizations. So, um, you know, most of the research on this has focused on how it benefits the person being mentored. And there are both kind of objective things that it helps with as well as subjective things. So, you know, those people who are mentored, they typically advance more rapidly in the organization. They get, have better salaries. Uh, they like their jobs more. And they generally have uh, a less of an inclination to quit uh, that organization compared to those people who don't have mentors. Right. Um, you know, so you have also, you know, performance benefits. Those people t tend to perform better, um, better motivation, those types of things. Uh, there's also some benefits from, uh, from the mentor standpoint, some of the, some kind of early research on this suggests that, you know, we, mentors like passing knowledge and skill onto people. They, they, it's a, it's an enjoyable experience. Um, it's can be very re rewarding, to work with somebody and develop a relationship with someone who's a little bit more junior and then see them succeed and grow. And it just can be tremendously um, beneficial psychologically for the, for the mentor. And then, you know, as, as far as the organization is concerned, um, you know, these are things like, you know, you don't, if you mentor folks, they're less likely to leave, which saves you money. You retain people better, increase productivity and so forth. So there is some good research on, mentoring and how it how it works and and the benefits of it so uh those of you who think that mentoring matters you're right ding 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 <laughs> ding 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 right um and so you know it's important for those those reasons um as well as a number of other things that we'll mention here in the podcast right so 
let's talk about mentoring versus say coaching and leadership development because i i see this in organization it's like oh this is our mentorship program but really they're just formalizing coaching and maybe they have a program a training program for leadership development but the, really mm-hmm. they're separate things they are so you know mentoring is the way we usually define this is it's more of kind of these long-term relationships um, in which someone is uh, getting this psychosocial and this career advancement type of information. Coaching is usually much more focused on specific knowledge and skills that a person needs to develop. It's a little bit more of a kind of a faster cycle time, if you will, where you know I maybe somebody needs help with with something technical in their job, and you know you go and help them out with it. You teach them how to do it. That's more coaching. And, you know, you could be a, someone's coach for a very, very long time, but it's a little bit different than mentoring, per se. Um, and then if right, we, and we at, get we, engaged to do this as coaches, you know, we have some, you know, CEOs and other executives that we have a formalized mm-hmm. coaching relationship. But there's generally a ongoing, like you said, short cycle time. So, you know, if you're getting a, a golf swing advice, um, you swing a golf uh, club five times, and then I come back two months later to tell you what you got to fix. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that doesn't work, right? <laughs> the coaching is like, okay, we're seeing this. So I know we've sat in on hiring um, things, you know, helping coaching managers into hiring better. So we've actually sat in on some of their um, hiring interviews with employees and stuff. And then mm-hmm. we're able to provide immediate coaching afterwards on ways they might improve that kind of stuff. So that that's a coaching. And then, you know, leadership development is that whole, you know, how does leadership even happen, which can seem kind of like Pandora's magic box, but like mentors, lots of time just share ad hoc what they've kind of learned and seen. Hopefully in a coaching or leadership development program, you have something based on best practices. So Sometimes, you know, the leadership development is, you know, I've seen CEO or, you know, VP say, hey, these are some books I read. Read these. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's lots of times those pop business books aren't even based. <laughs> you know, they're just not based in the science and, and they're trash. But, um, you know, having a good leadership development program, not to get derailed onto that, needs to be evidence based and is... Mm-hmm like more of a teaching should come out of the learning and development department. If you have one of those, if you're in an organization that's large enough to have one. Right. Yeah. So leadership development usually refers to these systematic ongoing programs that organizations have to identify their high potential leaders, to help groom them for their, their next roles, maybe look at any kind of gaps that they have in their skill or knowledge that'll, that'll be necessary in their next role. Um, right. Sometimes, you know, related to this is some, some level of succession planning sometimes, uh, to make sure you have the next generation of leaders ready. And that's different from mentoring. You know, mentoring is much more of this kind of um, one-on-one type type of situation that's focused on career advancement and psychosocial issues. So, um, you know, one, one thing we didn't touch on when I was talking about the benefits of mentoring, uh, you know, going back to this idea of formal versus informal mentoring, um, you know, does it matter if your organization has a formal program versus an informal one? And in general, the research suggests that when mentors have an informal 
type of relationship, when it's not something that's been forced upon them by the organization, then they actually benefit more. The informal ones tend to work better. Uh, yeah, that, something that comes from the heart is generally better than mandatory family fun time. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but however, you can't get, you know, if you have an organization of 5,000 or even stuff that's over 20 or something, mm-hmm. you, you can't force those relationships. So you still might want to capture, you know, 80% of the benefit or whatever it is, you know, from a formalized approach. Right. Yeah. And you don't want people in your organization who maybe are just shy or don't want to kind of initiate these relationships. Um, you don't want to have them lose out on the benefits just because of their personality or something or some other barrier that they may have to finding a mentor and so forth. Because then it's just, you know, you just kind of perpetuate the people who, you know, are extroverted and going after, uh, you know, these types of relationships. Then they're the only ones who get the benefit. So there is some benefit to having some formal programs, uh, in my view. Um, and there's some cool research about this as well. And, you know, this, this comes from, so two, two of the big researchers in this area, uh, one is Tammy Allen, the other is Lillian Eby. And, mm-hmm. uh, we'll post a, uh, a citation and some, a link to, uh, one of their great papers, uh, looking at these issues. Uh, but you know, they, they had a paper in the journal of applied psychology a number of years ago, looking at, um, you know, mentorship behaviors, mentorship quality associated with these formal programs, you know? So if I, if you're an organization, you say, you know, I, I have this formal program. Um, what are some things that I need to be thinking about? Uh, this paper addresses some of those. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of those things? Sure. Um, you know, another thing I just want to list some, we had some surprising finds from the literature, um, that I didn't know. One was rank doesn't matter. Hmm. Right. So people generally model people of close rank. Like, you know, if you're a mid-level employee, it'd be hard for you to be mentored by the CEO, maybe because their daily work life just looks so much different than yours. Right. Right. So rank, rank, having like huge rank disparities actually didn't matter. Um, Another thing that was surprising in my little list of surprising things is that training matters more for the experience of the protege as long as it's high quality. So if, that's, that's right. Yeah. So if you, I you think have training qual- that's high quality matters for everything, right? <laughs> right. But you know, so if you're, if you have some sort of training component going into this mentorship program where, you know, you're helping person, the person get the most out of that program, understand what mentoring is about, uh, when you have really high quality, um, types of programs that helps the, the mentees the most, it helps the proteges the most. Uh, and in contrast to that, if you have, too much training for those mentors. Let's say you set up this mentoring program and you know, it, so this is a great idea, right? If you think, Oh gosh, you know, I, we have these mentors and we have these mentees. What do we do to get our mentors ready? Cause we want to make sure that they're equipped. And, uh, the thing is that the research suggests that if you try to train those mentors too much, it, it's not going to, it hacks really them up. up. They get, they yeah. get hacked up. They're like this, this is a baloney program. I, I hate all, you know, then the poor uh, protege shows up and like, hi, I am here for my mentoring session. Get out, get out of here. Because you think about it, probably most of the people who are best candidates for being great mentors in your organization are also these super busy people because they've been successful. They do great work and so forth. So, uh, taking them away for too much time 
to try to train them up on how to be a good mentor is just going to annoy them. So, uh, you know, yeah, I guess it's here. not a surprising find. I just wanted no. to throw that out there that mentor, mentee, protege, all this kind of thing is good. Just handle with care or everybody's right. going to think you stink for doing it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you could, could provide those mentors with just, you know, a simple list of best practices, or you could have something that's very, very digestible quickly for those people just as a resource for them to consider. Uh, and, and then, you know, focus your, if you're going to have some training associated with your formal mentoring program, um, focus it a little bit more on the proteges and have it be of, of very high quality, you know, cause it's not going to do good if it's, if it's garbage training. Um, apparently garbage training is, is universally disliked, but anyway, right. and uh, universally <laughs> seen oddly enough, <laughs> but, oddly enough, but let, let's bring in. So, so some of the things that, um, and we'll get into kind of what do we see that works in this mandatory family fun time approach type thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, one, you know, some of the things that didn't matter so much were whether the participation was voluntary or not. Um, or if mm-hmm. you got a whole lot of training, so like do some high quality training, keep it brief. Um, but things that were like, did matter to the outcomes is if the protege has some input into the matching. So yeah. you, you oh, might want to not take the bingo approach where you number 47. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, so it's, it's actually the, uh, you know, both the protege and the mentor having a little bit of input into that matching process Absolutely. that matters. And, and it matters for, you know, I guess one reason you could think theoretically that it matter is that they will do a better job of kind of um, figuring out what would be a good fit. The other reason, though, is that we just like to have voice in the process. You know, I don't like as a you know, I I wouldn't like as a senior member of an organization just getting an email saying you have been assigned Bob as your protege. You shall go now meet with Bob and fix him. Right. Yeah. Generally Um, with like a crappy software tool to track your interactions or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It just, just sucks the life out of a You're natural. Like, I got to mentor this guy. I can't even remember my login. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we laugh, but these things are true. And so, you know, it's having single some sign on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So having some input into that matching process uh, does matter. Um, and, and it is interesting, you know, you don't necessarily have to have protégés who are um, voluntarily participating, like if, as long as they get some high quality training and are ready for the, the process, they tend to be okay. Um, you know, so th- I think that's a, a big takeaway here is if you are doing a formal program, you want to have, uh, the mentors and the protégés be involved in some way to the, uh, as to the, the matching process. Don't just force it upon them. Don't just rely on some algorithm to tell them what, what would work. Uh, and, uh, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah. Somebody's probably got some product out there that, oh yeah, analyzed 30 critical personality traits and then randomly mm-hmm. selected this. Well, maybe that works, but the, the whole thing is people having some kind of autonomy and input into those matches is the magic piece. So yeah, your <laughs> slick software may have gone through all this, you know, validated rigmarole. But if there's no input, Mm -hmm. it kind of doesn't matter. Right, because it doesn't feel fair. And that subjective kind of feeling of voice and control um, matters a lot here. 
All right. So let's let's talk about why why do organizations do this to their people? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, this kind of goes back to some of those benefits. Um, but this is again, I think this is something we uh, are drawing upon from that that great document that we'll put a link up to from the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, which for those of you who don't know, the uh, Office of Personnel Management in the United States is basically, they kind of do do HR for the federal government. They kind of uh, help establish all those types of processes. They do a lot of, um, they do stuff with uh, security clearances, I believe, all kinds of things related to that. So, you know, they have a lot of good people working there. And uh, this document, I think, could be fairly helpful for you. One yeah, they, they, they did a lot of good research that, People should listen to more, but probably don't. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Poor guys. It, it's one, I know. I looked at this document. I thought, this is amazing. And then you and I were both thinking, gosh, you know, I I, I really hope people actually used it. Because sometimes um, people don't read stuff that gets put out within their or- own organizations even. So, you know, a couple of reasons why they mentioned that organizations do this. This aligns certainly with what we've already talked about. But, it, you know, it, it can help as part of the onboarding process. When you have somebody new in the organization. I mean, that is just such a critical time uh, when you bring someone on. Uh, you don't want them to have buyer's regret. You know, like, <laughs> why did I show up here? Why did I take this job? You want them to get oriented quickly. You want them to kind of move towards being productive quickly. And uh, this is a good time to uh, look at mentoring. Yeah, so definitely during the on onboarding process. Also, skills enhancements. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You got really competent staff that knows a bunch of stuff. And you're like, man, why can't we have more of Larry? We should go hire more of Larry. Well, what if you had something to where you, Larry could reproduce himself within the organization, at least from a skills level, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Then going to that that psychosocial type of mentoring, you know, professional identity matters, right? Helping people what it understands to be a professional in that working environment, what's accepted, what's not accepted, and, uh, you know, that's, that's really important, you know, especially, um, for someone new to, to get a handle on those things before they make some major missteps. Uh, so that, that's another piece. The next one is around career development, right? So helping, uh, people think about their next step, think about, uh, where they want to take their organ, their, their career in that organization, help them manage those things, help them deal with setbacks if they have them. Uh, so that these people can can start to you know take the training wheels off and navigate the organization on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And then leadership and management development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this one's fraught because I, most managers and leaders within organizations that I run across don't have a formalized pedagogy for how to teach that stuff. But if you True. develop something that really helps them, and you know this is our kind of how evidence-based leadership development program, you can have people walk other people through a curriculum. Like that's like pretty good, but you know, it's better than nothing. But so anyway, leadership and management development, like that excellent way, uh, can be an excellent part of that mentoring relationship, but needs to be handled with care. It does. Another piece is education support. So helping people uh, learn how to apply what maybe they've learned in formal education and apply it in in the actual workplace. Um, then also just in terms of helping the organization develop and maybe even change the culture. So, uh, mentors can do a good job of helping to communicate and, uh, help other people see what the values of the organization look like in reality, uh, communicating the vision and mission of the organization. 
And that one-on-one relationship can be very beneficial to that kind of learning and development for the person. Yeah, so many of these things, these culture, you know, you can have a culture of lip service, right? You know, our our vision and values are X, Y, Z, and everybody's like, yeah, and that's really not what it is. But if you're in the middle of a culture change, having leaders that can calibrate, coach, mentor, all of that stuff is you're going to have to have that kind of buy-in to bake in that that change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and some other things that mentoring can help with uh, can help certainly with um, getting people to, you know, have the right attitudes for how they're um, approaching different situations, be it customer service or others, uh, certainly can help with retention. We already mentioned how that's one beneficial outcome of mentoring. Um, it also can help with recruitment because, you know, this can be a uh, uh, people. Well, first of all, if I know that I there's great mentoring programs within an organization and I'm a junior employee, that, that can be fairly attractive, especially to, you know, those highly qualified candidates, because those are people who are motivated, want to move forward in their careers. Um, and then just basic knowledge management and transfer of, of you know, certain types of uh, knowledge and skill within the organization for folks. Yeah, you know, with all the criticism I hear, of course, you know, the term millennial has almost just become Good you know, the rubber stamp for early career professional. But, you know, say, oh, they chop around, they're not interested. <laughs> but then, like, you look at the data and they're like, could you mentor me? Could you share knowledge? I mean, this is what you would want in an employee rather than, you know, just a brainless lump on a log. Mm-hmm. And then the organizations don't have anything to get them. And they yeah. end up leaving for organizations that have that do this well, because um, yeah. that's important for them to be resilient and build a good career, right? You could make the argument, and I think it'd be a, a fairly good one, that some of the younger employees in organizations today, um, the younger generations, which does not include millennials, because that's a fairly broad thing, and a lot of them are are getting older, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just been around too long. But the younger employees are actually forcing organizations to do talent, to do leadership, do these things better. <laughs> and I just think that that's actually really cool. Right. And and there, there's this idea. So, you know, sometimes you come in a junior, right? You're not put in a management role right away, right? No. You're, you're at the individual contributor level. And they say, well, I want training and leadership. And they're like, you know, I see this all the time. What do you mean leadership? Just like go turn out cogs in that corner, would you? And meanwhile, mm-hmm. these managers are advancing their career, trying to get mentorship and doing all that, and then pushing down that junior level person. But it's really interesting because you get a man, senior manager, a manager move up to director, VP, whatever, and then they leave a hole. And then you're going to put somebody in there that you should have been, you know, spending a little time each year developing, mentoring, you know, so that when they hit that place of responsibility, they're ready for it rather than mm-hmm. having to sink or swim in that in that place. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So l- let's just talk through some of these best practices related to mentoring. Uh, we've already mentioned a couple of them, but I think the the biggest one, strategically thinking, uh, and in terms of a, a leadership team being aligned is, you know, be clear about what you're trying to achieve. Why are you subjecting people to this? Why, you know, so this is kind of thinking about a formal mentoring program. Why do you want to have this be something in your organization? And you need to have agreement with it, especially among your senior leaders around it. Otherwise it's not going to get supported or rewarded. Right. And that's a big culture piece, because if your managers are looking at you like, what the heck, you really got to sell them on why. 
you know, mm-hmm. your work and your organization can't be a thousand percent dedicated to just doing the work. There's maintenance that you have to do for the people in there, which includes training, these kinds of programs and, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, just like people work, have a weekend off. Why? Cause they got to get the dry cleaning done and take kids to soccer games. Um, this is kind of those maintenance of life type stuff. So, so in in that vein, you should have an instruction guide for mentors and proteges. Mm-hmm. You know, they they will derail without it. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, again, going back to that, too much training for the mentors can hack them off type thing. You know, have it be very, have it be clear, have it don't have it be super long, especially for the mentors. If you're going to do any kind of training for them, uh, have it be uh, very high quality. Have it be bite sized so they can digest it quickly. Uh, now in terms of even, you know, more senior level support, you need to have some training on exec for executives on, you know, what's going on in the organization, how they can support this program, why it's important. You know, there's gotta be some kind of sales, uh, <laughs> of the idea within the organization for this to actually work well, especially in a large organization and having your executives on board is really critical to the success, to the overall success of, of this whole thing. Yeah. You can have the most perfect program, most perfect training and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't spend time teaching executives on how to communicate, and so all your program and change management best practices need to go in here. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you if you fail at this, you know, birthing this kind of program into your organization, it's like it's going to be years before you can try again, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. without doing the top down fist approach. Right. Right. So, right. I, and, in that vein, one of the things you might want to explore and you don't have to go either way is explore confidentiality agreements, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's struggling in their career or thinking you may have just a, like a written thing, like this is held in confidence or just kind of an understanding that, Hey, it's bad form. If you share something from your mentee out in the broader organization, because mm-hmm. that can help develop that more like the level of trust between the two rather than a more formalized work handshake, it can become a, a real human to human type thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we mentioned before too, you need to have uh, some, give people some input, the ability to voice their ideas and thoughts around the matching process. Uh, this should not be something that is solely driven by an algorithm. This is not something that should be solely driven by a bunch of HR business partners sitting around in a room together and deciding who's going to go with whom. Uh, this should be something where there is some ability where people can cannot kind of have that uh, that voice. Because um, I mean, you put yourself in their shoes, you wouldn't want to just be kind of have this thing forced it upon you. Um, some you know some attempts to create good mentoring programs and organizations are really uh, you know ones in which maybe HR or the leadership development folks create a platform for people to start interacting more. And then these basically creating the fertile ground for mentoring relationships to grow. Um, so that's the formalized piece and then allowing things to kind of go organically from that. Uh, that can be a, a good approach, be it through having some good networking events within the organization. And of course, right now we're speaking to, you know, mainly larger organizations where this needs to occur, um, have some sort of way for people to get to know each other. Um, and that way, if there's a good match, then, you know, they can continue the relationship or not, depending on what they what they found there. Um, and uh, that, that can be a much more kind of or- organic way to do it. Right. And and another thing is like explore the possibility. And I say explore confidentially, explore like there's not a hard and fast rule, but you can possibly have some formalized action plans. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, you know, probably all my time as a project manager and that kind of stuff, I always just want to be like, okay, well, you you needed some mentorship. I I gave you three steps. What step are you going to take, right? You know, let's finish up your daggone undergrad degree or something like that. Um, right. When, and then I'll follow up on it. Like, how's that going? When, when do you graduate? Or, you know, mm-hmm. you said you're going to go get that certification. How's that going? Um, yeah. That can be a good way to get that traction in it. And yeah. what I would recommend there is that you could create some sort of template or some sort of easy way for people to do this, to have an action plan. Um, but maybe, maybe don't make it mandatory. You know, have it be, hey, hey, mentors, uh, protégés, here's something to consider if it would be helpful for you. Um, because otherwise, then it, it just, again, if you make that thing mandatory, it could just kind of put this formality into the situation that just feels icky. Um, but on the flip side, it could be very helpful. So kind of giving them that choice, I think, could be important, um, you know, for the for the overall mentoring program. Yeah, and if you're the protégé or mentee, it's a way, like, even if they don't, they said, hey, listen, you can start focusing that mentorship advice by saying, okay, based on what we're talking here, I've made these couple decisions. What do you think? And then that's a great way to keep that relationship warm by reporting on your progress to those goals mm-hmm. and, and obtaining future feedback. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of along the same lines, if you are, you know, in, in a function in the organization that is responsible for coming up with your mentoring program and so forth, uh, I do think it's important to be thinking about from the outset uh, how you're going to assess whether or not the program is doing anything. You're going to need that as an HR leader, as a learning and development leader um, later on down the road to justify why you continue to do this thing. And there are a number of ways in which you could do this, um, but at the very least, you know, keeping track of uh, who is and who is not you know, having mentoring relationships, you could integrate it into various types of um, survey methodologies to get, you know, not only reactions, but maybe also some data around what people are learning in their mentoring processes. You certainly could keep track of, you know, people over time and say, you know, people who are mentored, what are some of the outcomes to them versus people who are not mentored uh, and look at things like retention, things like performance. So I would, I would definitely encourage anybody who's, who's, at, you know, in the kind of the architecture of this whole thing to look at, at assessment and measurement uh, along the way. So you can justify the continuance of the program as well as, uh, you know, help to tweak it. You may learn some things along the way that that help you course correct and make it better. Right. Absolutely. So and the, and there's different types of mentoring that you mm-hmm. can explore. Um, you got group mentoring, um, flash mentoring, you know, kind of like a speed dating real quick type thing. Uh, peer mentoring programs, it doesn't always have to have a structural hierarchy piece. Um, reverse mentoring um, is really possible. Ben, explain for our listeners what reverse mentoring is. So when we defined mentoring earlier, we talked about how it's normally a senior level employee who's sharing information with a more junior one because they've been there and done that. Well, reverse mentoring is turning that on its head a little bit and saying, you know, there's probably some stuff that our more junior employees can actually teach our more senior employees. And you usually the way this gets interpreted and for practical reasons, and it seems to make some sense is around the use of technology and social media and so forth. You know, your younger employees are probably going to be much more well-versed in, in a number of those things. And, you know, having some sort of reverse mentoring on that could be a really cool and helpful thing. 
Right. And, you know, I see this a lot in these enterprise level legacy technology companies where, you know, mm. manufacturing has changed. Maybe you have some agile manufacturing or anytime, you know, people did business a certain way. And then you're now trying to bring in and change the strategy and trajectory to keep so you don't get disrupted. Right. We talk about mm -hmm. how a lot of the Fortune 500 companies that are now weren't there so many years ago because there's a lot of deaths on the way, right? And mm -hmm. so when you're trying to avoid that death on the way type thing, um, like a challenge is, is okay, we want these innovative people, we'll bring them in at mid-level, oh, we want innovative new young talent. And then it can create some um, organizational dissonance, right? As you mm -hmm. have the, you know, new guard versus the old guard. But the old guard has you still got to keep the lights on even when you're trying to transform your organization the old guard's scared right mm -hmm. i realize mm -hmm. this new stuff's coming my skill set doesn't match that how, you know how long am i here until i get thrown out the door as some relic or <laughs> you know one of the ways it's really cool to kind of disrupt that and help every you know cuz you don't want to use lose that institutional knowledge necessarily but uh, people that, you know, we talk about having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. A lot of people with a fixed mindset, well, people never change. Well, in fairness, we don't set up the structural supports to bring people along. And one of the ways mm -hmm. we can do that is that reverse mentoring. I, I, it's so important. It needs to be executed well, but you, you should look at some of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, even though we define mentoring as this relationship between a more senior person and a more junior person, mentoring can actually happen in all these different ways. It can happen reverse in a reverse fashion, like we just talked about from a more junior person to a more senior person. And I, I can even think of, you know, many peers that have mentored me in kind of informal ways. It's not like we said, you know, that we are mentors and mentees or proteges or whatever, but I've learned a lot by by watching now, I've learned a lot from you working. working with you has been one of the most awesome things because your skill set and knowledge and you know over the years it's it right it, it doesn't well, have yeah, to have and, that structural and and back at you absolutely learned a lot from you too so um I think that's an important thing to to realize with regard to mentoring and, and also uh, uh team in virtual mentoring mm -hmm. you know so you can mentor you know if I always encourage the video chat tool if you can. It's totally worth mm -hmm. the investment. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you you know, you have that senior person that's super, super busy, but you can throw a cohort of new hires in with a director and, you know, in one hour have 10 people learn a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and I think especially if you kind of structure that time well, sometimes I've seen where senior people will try to do that with folks and they say, they just kind of show up and they're like, Hey, so what questions do you have for me? And, uh, and yeah, they're like, I don't know. I just joined. I, I, I'm too stupid yeah, to know what to ask right. yet. You know, I, exactly. <laughs> I, I, maybe I, I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know what I don't know. And, you know, I think these are great opportunities for that senior person to, instead of saying, hey, what questions do you have for me? Have a couple of things that, hey, hey, this is who I am. This is my career. This is what worked for me. Here's some things that that were helpful as I made decisions along the way. Uh, and then, you know, that th then after that, as that goes along, then you can say, you know, what questions do you have for me based upon all of this? Because then I think that's just a much more helpful way to structure those types of kind of group mentoring type of processes. Um, you know, one thing we didn't cover yet, and I think this is an important piece, especially with the formal stuff, 
is that, you know, it, it's important for people to have a, a variety of types of mentors and not to fall in the trap of just matching people based upon their, maybe their demographics. Oh yeah. I, you know, I get this, um, you know, we had a friend that was telling us like, I, she's female. So, you know, I'm always matched with girls, but right. you know, I really wanted to be matched with Steve because Steve's more aligned with my interests or he has that skill set that I'm looking to pick up on. So you, you gotta have some of that sensitivity yeah. to, to what's going on in that match process. Yeah. And I think there can be a, a natural tendency within some organizations to, you know, say, look, like we really want to make maybe an underrepresented group, be it a, um, a racial minority or a gender minority within that organization. We want to help them feel accepted and like there's a career path for them. So we we say, yeah, it'd be good to kind of match them up with this person who's kind of like them in that regard. Um, I would say, you know, there's it's that's not a horrible thing, but don't I, it's too constrictive. I think there's a lot of other types of mentoring that you might get from other types of people within the organization. So I think that kind of leads us to this uh, last part, which is uh, advice for those who seek mentoring. Because, um, you know, if you are out there and, and you're like, oh, gosh, I just need some mentoring. Uh, what are some things that they can do? Right. And it just, you know, it can be, you know, how you don't even know how to ask, right? Would you be my <laughs> mentor? It seems so Dr. Seuss or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, well, and I think, I think the first thing is, you know, seeking a number of different people, you know, going along this kind of diversity thing. Um, I can think of fantastic people of all types that I have learned from in the course of my career. Uh, and you know, they are, it's a rather diverse group. And I think that that has been helpful because they all have different perspectives on things. Um, and I think it has made me more sensitive to, to how to navigate my career and, and, uh, make decisions better. Um, because I've had that, that wide swath of, of types of folks. So, you know, seek a number of pe different people. Don't, don't place all of your, uh, eggs in one basket, so to speak, as, as someone seeking a mentor saying, I'm just going to find one amazing mentor and that person's going to change my life and, and make me amazing. Um, right. no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I never met somebody like that for me, you know, it, yeah. it, it was always a portfolio approach of, mm -hmm. you know, their powers combined make the ultimate, you know, mentor together. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and you don't have to call a mentor. No, you don't. I, I just bringing up that word can be unless it's a formalized program. I get it, no. but you know, you don't have to say, "Would you be my mentor?" You might just start approach building, building a relation. Just like you know, you're gonna go talk talk to somebody you're romantically interested in, and you say, "You know, would you be my girlfriend?" That's not something you say. Right. <laughs> no, you, you kind of figure things out, see if there's uh, some shared interest and, and so forth. And then you move from that initiation phase to the cultivation phase. Right. Right. As we already talked about. So, you know, and, and if 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 I must just put yourselves in the shoes of someone who is senior in an organization, you're busy, you're successful. And someone junior, even if that person's amazing, they come up to you and say, would you be my mentor? I mean, you might be up for that, but you you might immediately go to, oh my gosh, this, what is that? that? That just seems like a lot, right? Yeah, everybody um, brings all this mental garbage to what they think about mm -hmm. what that means. And you can avoid it just by not using the word. Yeah, so if you're seeking mentoring, 
just go try to find amazing people and develop some sort of relationship with them, ask them some questions uh, and so forth and and see how it goes. Um, that can be a way to uh, develop those informal relationships, which, as we already mentioned, can oftentimes be even more beneficial than the formal mentoring relationships. Right. And, you know, like we talked about the stages, realize these relationships go through stages uh, by being sensitive to that. You can realize that people will float into your life and float out of your life as you progress. You know, the type of mentor mm -hmm. you need as a, you know, 19 year old starting out in the workplace um, or post-college or post-PhD, right? That is different than what you're going to need as a 60-year-old focusing on retirement or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Another idea, and this is kind of a cool one, and this is one that I first heard from my good friend, Greg, who uh, uh, I think is one of our podcast listeners. At least if he's not, then I'll he have better to call be. him out. He better be. <laughs> if, yeah, if he's not, then I don't know what's wrong with him. But uh, years ago, my good friend, Greg, brought up this idea of the virtual advisory board. You know, so this is like, say you don't really have formalized mentoring relationships, but you are curious in becoming a better human and a better uh, person within your field or whatever. You know, this is the idea that you can learn from anyone, people who are alive, people who are dead, people who are famous, people who are not famous. And, you know, so I, I remember talking with him and I was like, well, who are some of the people on yours? And he said, well, one of the people on my virtual advisory board is Leonardo da Vinci right? <laughs> who's been, been uh, you know, the, the artist. I can't wait been... to come to your house and see the painting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but, but, but I or think it's cool. flying invention, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's so I, think, I just think it's a really neat idea because, you know, we can learn so much from people in history. We can read. Uh, and that's where I think that can be really helpful. Now, I would caution you to say that, like, you don't want to just have uh, only read one thing and say, just because this person did this in the biography I read about that person means exactly that's exactly how I should approach things. But, uh, you know, a, a good variety of people. Um, who yeah, you think some about, dead, some living. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Right. So you can you can read works about them. You can follow their blogs. You can listen to their podcasts. I don't know those types of things in order to learn. Uh, so I think that's just a, a nice idea there. So with the, with the idea of the virtual advisory board, there's really no excuse into, especially in today's day and age and the availability of information for you not to have access to some of this, uh, this good stuff. Right. And then like a word to organizations, mentoring's awesome. You guys know it, right? Um, mm -hmm. but half-baked rollouts kill it. Ugh. yeah. And you'll do more yeah. harm than good to your organization. So taking a tactical pause and making sure making sure that everything's in place, that's mm -hmm. totally worth the time. Uh, because once it's in place and doing well, it's going to reap your, your org a lot of benefit. Well said. And, you know, I think the last thing is that if you happen to be a mentor, um, recognize that this is, you know, there's a little, little bit of awkwardness in this, if, especially if it's a formalized process, uh, but this is needed. And, you know, you are creating this future for your organization, for your profession. And that's an important role that you need to fulfill for this, for the long-term success of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Be, be kind to the seekers. You know, our whole point of this <laughs> podcast and everything is human flourishing at work. So, yeah. you know, be the change you want to be in the world by being kind. Like, even if you have to pass, because really you don't think it's a good fit or something, be kind to those that are seeking you out. Even if they come up with the corny question, you know, won't you be my mentor, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, realize that it took a lot of, uh, you know, 
guts on that on that person's part to maybe even come to you and ask you that. So um, be kind, you know, find ways to support, even if it's maybe not you, suggest other resources and so forth. Um, because, you know, that's chances are someone did that for you if you really think hard about it in, at some point in your career. So you need to pass that on and pay it forward. All right. So, Ben, why not give us a recap? Great. So today, you know, we talked about mentoring and we talked about what mentoring is. We talked about different types of mentoring. Uh, we contrasted it somewhat with coaching and leadership development uh, because mentoring is really about those long-term relationships that focus on psychosocial and career advancement types of information. And then we wrapped up here talking about some advice for those people who are seeking mentoring. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.